Welcome to the podcast of Scott Street MB Church. We hope you find this message inspiring and encouraging in your walk as a disciple of our Lord Jesus Christ. This is a tremendous portion of scripture that Travis just read for us. We're actually going to look at the whole chapter, so we're going to be here till 3 o'clock this afternoon. But this is the first Sunday of Lent, and we're going to be talking about that today. We're going to be following over the next few weeks the, uh, the progression. Now, this scripture is picked up in uh, Luke chapter 4 as well. And Jesus was invited to preach for his family and friends at his home synagogue. And the local rabbi asked him to read from the scriptures. And he took the scroll that was given him and he read Isaiah 61, just as you've just heard. And imagine our loving Lord uh, standing up in the midst of a group of people in the synagogue and reading the words, The Spirit of the the Sovereign Lord is on me because the Lord has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives, and release from darkness the prisoners to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Well then, Luke notes, he rolls up the scroll, gives it back to the priest, And he says, today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. Can you imagine the reaction that he would get from people? Much the same as if I was to tell you this morning, I am actually the Messiah that God has chosen to redeem the world. And your response would be, yeah, right. Give it a. You need to bring that little thing back and go, wah, wah. Yeah. The same type of reaction probably would have been for Jesus, a, a homeboy, who would say this to the people in the synagogue. The people must have been in shock. And he chose this text for several reasons. And because the, in the book of Isaiah, we see a progression from something to something. We see a progression from God's challenges to the people of Israel because, you know, they did religious things, but they trusted in their wealth more than they trusted in God. And the the nation was really riddled with moral problems. And so they went from that. God was transitioning them to God's announcement of punishment, and they were going into exile after this. They're going to God's promise of deliverance through the suffering Savior, And then they were going to God's vision of life in the new era, the year of the Lord's favor. Now this morning, as we approach the season of Easter, the season of the resurrection, which is called Lent, we want to think, what difference does it really make that Jesus has risen? What difference does it make that he has come to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor And as Jesus inaugurates this new era, the era in which we live now, what's it really all about? And so to start with, we we ask the question, what is Lent? What is Lent? Lent is a period of 40 days which comes before Easter in the Christian calendar. And beginning on Ash Wednesday, which this year is this coming Wednesday, March the 6th, Lent is a season of reflection and preparation before the celebrations of Easter. So two things. There's reflection, where you think back, and there's preparation, where you're looking forward. 
And by observing the 40 days of Lent, Christians remember the sacrifice of Jesus and his withdrawal into the desert for 40 years, or for 40 days, sorry. And Lent is marked by fasting, both from food and festivities. It's a, it's a quiet season. It's a, a thoughtful season. Are you ready? We don't often say much about preparing for Lent. But at the end of the service, you're going to receive a devotional book that's going to help us as a church to prepare for Lent. And when it culminates in Easter, the celebrations that we have make it all the more real in our hearts. Now, there, traditionally, there are three elements that are associated with Lent. It's the elements of prayer, fasting, and generosity. The first one, prayer. We can help us become more responsive to those who suffer. And we were praying earlier today, as Marga led us in prayer, for uh, those that are sick and need healing, for families that have been bereaved. And we had two wonderful homegoing celebrations this week. And we tended to celebrate life more than mourn the death as we said goodbye to to uh, Brother Newford and uh, Brother Peter Plossett, Hans and Peter. And what a, what a day of celebration we had for each of them. And so many of you pitched in and helped in so many ways, and I appreciate that so much, and the families do as well. Prayer. And so maybe we can find some ways to pray often during Lent, focusing on the needs of those who are victims of injustice. And here's, here's a couple of suggestions of if you don't know what to pray for. Number one, maybe gather your family together and listen to the news or look into some of the, the newspapers as to some of the injustices that are in the world, and there's a lot of them. And maybe pick one that you as a family can pray for. Uh, select one and learn about some of the causes that are there. Uh, and how people are affected by it, and maybe keep track of developing news on the situation. Here's a possible prayer. You don't have to pray this prayer, but here's a suggestion. Here's a possible prayer. You might say, God, our Father, we know that you hear the cries of all those who suffer. Hear us as we pray for those who suffer unjustly so that their plight might be relieved. We pray also for the oppressors that they might have a change of heart and see the error of their ways. May they use their power for good of all. And we pray for ourselves that we might have the compassion and the courage to do whatever we can to alleviate the suffering and to address the causes of, of that suffering. And we ask this through Christ our, our brother and our Lord. Amen. That's a possible way that you can, as a family, begin to enlighten your children or your, each other as to some of the needs around us. Another way, as we said, to read the Lent devotional book and go through it uh, during this season. So that's prayer. A second element that's uh, usually associated with Lent is fasting. Now, that's always a very popular subject, especially since last Sunday we had potluck. Hmm. Well, fasting is actually biblical, and it's good for us. And it helps us to recognize our habits and overcome come them. I've found over the years that when I fast, it tends to sharpen my spiritual senses as I am sacrificing 
a normal physical appetite. And I use that then to draw closer to God, an opportunity for him to speak as I'm listening more clearly. Here's what you, a couple suggestions again. Maybe choose one meal each week of Lent in which you will eat less than normal. Or perhaps you can have a simple dinner of, of soup and bread. And at that meal, be especially aware that many people will go without a meal this day. You know, I often think of that. I often think of the fact that while we have food laid up at home, there's so many people around the world that don't know where their next meal is coming from. And I'm reminded of stories of, of families that would save up so that a child on their birthday could have a special meal. No one else shares it, just that, that child, and they all enjoy watching that child have a, a happy meal at McDonald's. <laughs> I've heard those stories. I've heard other stories of children being encountered on the mission field. And they say, are you hungry? And they say, well, it's not my day to eat. It's my brother's day to eat, not mine. Fasting tends to open our eyes to some of the plights of people around the world. Well, here's another suggestion how you could use fasting. Maybe fast from what the pastor spoke about the other week, what we say. Maybe fast from spreading gossip about others or telling stories that ought not to be told. Where we bring that in and we rein in our tongues. See, when we, we say things about other people, sometimes it builds us up, but it tears them down. And that's not what the body of Christ is all about. And we need to pray for a more generous heart. And that leads us to the third element of Lent, which is generosity in itself. As I look over this congregation, there are so many people that have given and given, not just of finances, but labor and time and understanding and compassion. This week, so many of you gave in service, uh, so many different ways. We had a service at Tabor night where people, uh, on Thursday night at Tabor, where people came and they sang and they, they ministered to the, to the residents that were there. We have others that are here on Wednesday for lunch at Scott Street. We had many that were in the kitchen and in the, the, the gym serving for the funerals this week. We had people that were at the door and ushering and, and helping out in so many ways. You're a very generous congregation. A couple of suggestions. Maybe put a jar or container on the kitchen table and contribute a set amount of money determined by your family each day of Lent and Maybe give up buying junk food or, or contribute that money to the jar and, and invite your family and, and, and your friends to contribute to whatever charity you would decide to give it to. You see, when we give and we're generous in our hearts, that gives us a deeper appreciation for what God has given to us. When we give our tithes and our offering, that's a great thing when I... I say, God, you have honored me, and I, I, I want to honor you. I want to give back, and it's a delight to say, Lord, you've blessed us, and I also want to be a blessing. So 
it says, what is then the year of the Lord's favor? It says, uh, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God to comfort all who mourn. I I hope I don't go too fast on this today because we do want to look at the entire chapter as we set the table for the next few weeks on the subject of Lent leading up to Easter. Now, we tend to read this phrase, the year of the Lord's favor, and we, can, we ignore it because it's a little unfamiliar at the end where it says the day of vengeance of our God and comfort all who mourn. But in Leviticus, this expression means a whole lot to Jewish people. Because in the book of Leviticus, God, God had established that every 50th year would be a year of jubilee or the Lord's favor. It was like a, a super Sabbath. After seven sets of seven years, and it would help them remember Israel's miraculous deliverance from 50 years of enslavement in in Egypt. And they're there for so many years as residents and then enslaved for so many years as well. And the Israelites were then set free. Well, this was good news for the poor because they were free to earn their own wages. It was good news for the brokenhearted. We saw that in the scripture. They were free to establish families and see their children prosper. It was good news for those who were enslaved and imprisoned in Egypt because they would be free. It was about life. It was about God's power. It was about a new beginning. It was about a new society with no king but God. And that was the year of the Lord's favor. And every 50th year then, as the Jews would celebrate deliverance and freedom, they were to celebrate the Lord's favor and a as an ongoing testimony to God's faithful love, any Jew that was so poor that they had to sell themselves into slavery would be set free. If they'd had to sell lands to feed themselves, it would be returned. Back to the original owner. And the point was that all the possessions really are God's. They're not ours. See, we are not to put our trust in our and find a value in what we own. We trust in God. So is that countercultural? Yeah, it is. Is it impractical? Well, maybe. But from a human point of view, only God could make it work. Israel was to be a nation radically different from any other nation. We are called to that as well. So Isaiah 61 says, the people of Israel, that a year of jubilee is coming. First, they would be returned from exile in Babylon. And second, God is foreshadowing another jubilee that is coming. Someone once says that what is hidden in the Old Testament is revealed In the New Testament, the plan of salvation is contained in the Old Testament, but it finds its fulfillment in the New Testament in Jesus Christ. You see, the season of the Lord's favor would happen when the suffering Savior Jesus would come and give his life. That's the Easter Jubilee. This jubilee would be of good news to the poor in spirit, 
those that are disheartened, discouraged, or disillusioned. Because there's a God who loves them and provides for them. This would be a jubilee of healing to the brokenhearted. Those who are hurting physically or emotionally or spiritually. There's a God who cares for them, who gives them a family. It's a jubilee of freedom to the captives, people who are enslaved to vices or habits or addictions and sin. Because there's a God who forgives and can deliver them. It's a, it's a jubilee of release of the prisoners. People who feel they have no worth or purpose in a cruel, impersonal world. Because God values them and has purpose in them. So, how then do we live in this year of jubilee? Because when you accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior... You become part of that Jubilee family. Where the old no longer has power over your life and you've been set free. Second Corinthians says you're a new creature, a new creation. Old things are gone, passed away. Everything becomes new. And if it's new, what are we free to do? Well, We live as people that God loves. You know, every day of my life, I don't have to worry whether God loves me because he, by his Holy Spirit, has put that truth in my heart. And I realize that his love is not because of what I have done. How many of you have ever had a baby? How many of you have ever been a baby? When you looked at a newborn baby, did you love that baby? Why? It didn't do anything. You've heard me say this before. All it did was lie there, cry, and the rest of it. But you loved that baby, not because of what it did but because of who it was. It was your child. And God loves you, and God loves me, not because of what you do, because, but because of who you are. He made you. He redeemed you. He gave his son so that you might have life. And he loves you with an everlasting love. I can live in that knowledge every day. That I am loved. There's no gospel song says I am loved. I am loved so I can risk loving you. Because the one who knows me best loves me the most. That's the truth. The Bible says in that portion of scripture. will give you beauty for ashes. The oil of joy for mourning, the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness, that you might be trees, oaks of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he might be glorified. See, that verse has a very special significance to me. Because God spoke to me through that verse years ago. After our first child was three years of age, we were expecting another child, a little girl. That little girl died in the womb just a week before 
her birth full term. We mourned that. A year later, a second son was born, and then four years later, we found out we're expecting again. And God spoke to my heart, says, I'm giving you beauty for your ashes, the oil of joy for your mourning, a garment of praise for the spirit of your heaviness, that you might be trees of righteousness. This is the Lord's doing. And from that moment on, I knew that God was giving us another little girl that we could enjoy. And that little girl is now 30 years of age. Yet in the telling of it, my heart still breaks. You never replace anyone. You love them for who they are. I want you to know this, folks. God loves you for who you are. Not for what you do. Because it's not by works of righteousness which we have done. But it's according to his mercy he saved us. By the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Spirit. This he spoke through Titus. Imagine a lady dressed for a a funeral. And we don't have to imagine that much this week. We've. Had two. And suddenly she receives the message. There was a mistake. It's not a funeral. It's a wedding. While she washes the ashes from her face, puts on a garland of flowers in her hair, the ashes and the sackcloth are are replaced by a crown of flowers and the perfume of the oil of joy. And she has an exquisite gown. And she will see a beautiful bride, the most beautiful, most treasured, most loved person of all, because she is loved. And that fact causes her to glow, and that fact gives her a healthy self-esteem. Folks, we are the bride of Christ. We become that person. And that's the way God sees us. While the world seems dark and, and dreary, we need to hear God's message, I love you, and I love you so much that I gave you my own son, so that you might be free. So we live as people that God loves. We live as people that God strengthens. Someone talks about someone who's like a tree planted by the streams of water, which yields its fruit in season. Why? Because his delight is in the law of the Lord. Thirdly, we live as people of a new society. It says they will rebuild the ancient ruins in Isaiah chapter 61. As we read down from from verse 4 through verse 9, and you can read that later, you'll see that God is going to do something brand new out of the ashes and out of the despair and out of the rubble. And that's what he did with our lives. Years ago, Bill Gaither wrote a song that says, Something Beautiful. He says, All I had to offer him was brokenness and strife, but he made something beautiful of my life. Oh, If that doesn't get you up in the morning. See, the Jewish nation was supposed to be radically different from every other country. See, God's original plan, they would have no other king. God would be their king. You know the story. But they said, no, we want to be like everyone else. I don't want to be like everyone else. The Bible says there's 
a broad road that leads to destruction, and many there be that on it that are on it. You say, well, everybody's doing it. Well, doesn't mean it's right. It says truth is narrow. The road is narrow. The gate is narrow. We as a people of God, the people that God has redeemed, are also, as we said, the people of Jubilee. And we are called to have those same core values. As God's people created and established by God, we are, we are to be a fellowship of people whose hearts and minds are set on God and his holiness. We are not to be a community whose main ambition is the accumulation of, of power or wealth or prestige. That might even lead us away from God. Isaiah speaks of us as priests of the Lord, servants, ministers of our God. And we are the people who rebuild the ancient cities and the ancient ruins. Matthew chapter 5 says, we are the salt of the earth. We are the light of the world. We're to be agents of change in this world. Folks, I want to encourage you this morning. So many people put themselves down and they say, well, I can't do this or I can't do that. They sell themselves so far short. If I was to give each one of you a gift today, it would be to see yourself as God sees you. Not just what is, but what can be. Scripture records that I can do all things through Christ who gives me the strength. I can do all things. You see, there's a There is a sense of sacrifice because we give our time, we give our toil, we give our resources to build the kingdom of God. God can make it work. Our task is to be obedient to God's vision and trusting him to make it work. Well, the last thing we want to look at this morning as we're leading up towards this season of Lent is not only can we love as God loves and we can serve, but we can be people that are focused on God. The scripture says, I delight greatly in the Lord. My soul rejoices in God, for he has clothed me with garments of salvation and arrayed me in a robe of his righteousness as a bridegroom, adorns his head like a priest, and as a bride adorns herself with her jewels. I live every day with the anticipation of eternity. I live every day with the expectation that I may not see tomorrow. When I drop my wife off at work in the morning, she says, I'll see you this afternoon. I say, I hope so. Because I don't. No. They say, I'll see you on Tuesday, said the Lord willing. Because I don't know. I live 
every day with the anticipation that this could be the day that Jesus comes. This could be the day when the trumpet sounds. The dead in Christ are rise, and we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the air. So shall we ever be with the Lord. This could be the day. Wouldn't that be a wonderful benediction to the surface? <sighs> Heard one guy say, you know, when that trumpet sounds, we're not going by airplane, we're going by plane air. We're just going right up. Well, glory. And I live with that expectation and that anticipation. It's in the fiber, every fiber of my life. Do I make plans? Yes, I make plans. But I do so with the proviso that I might not be here for them. Because God alone knows how many days, weeks, years I may have. We, God's people, are the bride. We are prepared with a garland of flowers, oil of joy, and garment of praise. It's God's doing. You're not the person you were before you were saved. You're God's workmanship. It says in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10. You're God's workmanship created for good works, which God already prepared beforehand that we should do. Through God's message of love, in our words and our actions, we are able to to heal the brokenhearted, to give the good news. And today as we enter the season of Lent, what practical way can you care for someone else? As we live a, a life of jubilee focused on loving God and loving our neighbor as ourselves, we celebrate. And we invite others to share the party. So let's celebrate. Let every Sunday at Scott Street MB Church be a joy and a blessing to each and every one of us and for everyone who enters these doors. Celebration. And folks, if anybody has reason to celebrate God's goodness... The scripture says, let the redeemed of the Lord say so. I'm glad Jesus saved me. I'm glad he took my sins away. I'm glad he remembers them no more. And I'm glad he's prepared a place for me and for you in heaven. Father, write this on our hearts, I pray. In Jesus, Jesus' powerful name.